All right, let's pray as we consider God's word. Dear Lord, thank you for sending us your word that we might know you, know the truth, and know your heart for it towards us and your grace for us found in Jesus. Please bless us, give us eyes to see and hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So my starting question for you is when you think of God, when you think of him, do you think he is gracious towards you? Now, I assume, I'm going to assume that all of you have been taught about God's grace, that he is gracious towards you. But it's still important that we take that time and examine our hearts. Is that how I really think of God? Do I act like God is gracious? Do you know in your soul that God is gracious towards you and do you believe it? And we're looking at Matthew 7, 7 through 11 as part of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And these verses, they declare the wonderful graciousness of God. He is more giving and generous than anyone you know. And when you fall short or you fail, when you realize, like we talked about last week, you realize you have that plank in your eye. When you, when you see all the hypocrisy and sin in your heart, it is God's graciousness that you can turn to and rely on. Verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So he said, ask God. In, so in prayer, ask him and it will be given. Seek his righteousness, his wisdom and his glory and you will find it. Knock you know, and the door will open. He will open the kingdom of heaven and welcome you in. And these are promises of grace that you can depend upon. And just to make sure we really get it, Jesus repeats it again with extra emphasis. Verse 8, he says, For everyone, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So great God graciously calls to everyone. He is calling you, saying, ask me, seek from me, knock on my door. And maybe we've heard this so many times, we've forgotten how wonderful it is. But if we think about this world and our, our usual interactions with people and how people treat each other in this world, uh, this is not how we act, because with just with each other, we are reluctant to ask. We don't want to impose. We don't want to be a burden, or we fear rejection, or we suspect that other people cannot help us, or that they're unwilling to help us, or that they will only help us with a great deal of grumbling. But God, he reaches out to us, and he reveals his heart toward us. He wants you to ask him, to seek him, and to knock on his door. And you are never imposing. You are never a burden. God never grumbles when he hears from you, like, oh, no, not you again. How many times do I got to help you out? You know, that is never God. <laughs> his heart towards you is love, and he is delighted to give you his grace. 
And Jesus illustrated this by comparing God's amazing grace with the everyday grace of parents. Verses 9 through 11, he says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So this kind of reminds me, the, 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 the bread and the stone, reminds me of the, the practical jokes that people play on each other. I'm thinking of like in the cafeteria where, you, where somebody takes the salt and they unscrew the lid and they put it, set it back on so it, it looks like it's in place. And then they, they set back and, and watch and just wait for that person who's going to come along, grab the salt to shake it, and then boom, just all the salt comes out. And youth, I'm not, I'm not trying to give you ideas. I'm just, but I think we've, you know, we've seen this practical joke. And I'm now, now imagine somebody asks, you know, someone paints bread, you know, like that wooden bread we, we saw earlier. So imagine someone takes a stone and they paint it up really convincingly like bread. And then what if they gave it to someone? Here, yeah, here, eat this. And what if someone tried to bite it? You know, how? For certain, that would hurt. You know, might even break it too, depending on how hard you are biting. But, but that would hurt, and and that person would be furious. You know, not funny, <laughs> not a funny joke. Or what if you ordered fish and you were served a snake? Now, now I don't know if, if Jesus means a live snake. You know, that that would be food that bites back. <laughs> but but if it's, I think he means it as a meal, probably. Um, we're talking about eating here. But even if it were cooked up, I mean, snake is not a good meal. I mean, that's a nasty meal. But uh, for Jews, that, that snake is not kosher food. That is forbidden food. So th 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 it's not just, oh, you gave them something nasty. You gave them something that is harmful to them at every level. And then the point is that the child asked for something good, and they were given something harmful. And Jesus says, even we don't do this. Even we are gracious enough to give good things to our children. And we're evil. And when Jesus says that about us, he's, he's referring to the scriptural teaching that all people have inherited a sinful nature from Adam. Now, everyone's got this. Everyone's has, your nature is, is tainted by sin and selfishness so that you are inclined towards greed. And you are disinclined to share and to give. That's just a natural impulse. And yet, even we still give good things to our children. So if, if we are this generous, even when we are corrupted by sin, how much more gracious must God be who is without sin? And if a child will go to their parent asking for what they need, expecting something good, well, then how much more should we go to God in prayer asking for what we need, expecting something good? Now, our, our faith in this word is immediately challenged by a common experience. Well, why weren't my prayers 
answered the way I asked. I've experienced this many times. I can think of a, of a particularly serious time when I was serving in the Navy, and there was a particular season where my prayers did not appear to be answered. And I, I was pleading for a month for help, for direction, some thing, <laughs> some form of help, and it did not come. And for years I, afterward, I wondered, you know, well, why, why didn't you answer that the way I asked? And, and why should I keep on praying? And unfortunately, you know, God gave me my answer in that situation, but that's not a universal answer. It was my answer. But Scripture does give us answers to these burning questions. Why aren't, isn't every prayer answered just the way you ask it? And we read earlier in Proverbs, and Proverbs 28 and 29 says, well, they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because... They hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. In verse 24 and 25, because I have called and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. So one explanation is that people have refused to follow God in his ways. And then later when the when the consequences of their foolishness and their sin are coming down upon them, well, then they call upon his grace, but they're, they're fully intending to keep on sinning. So you, they're asking for God to save them from the consequences, but they don't want to be better. They don't want good. They just, God, save me from these consequences so I can keep on sinning. And God will not allow his grace to be used for sin. His grace is for good. It's not, he's not going to let it be used for sin. He's not going to let us twist his promises to be used that way. James 4, 3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So when we ask with a sinful motivation, God is not going to answer that. The Bible says God is not mocked. So to use our, that illustration of knocking, knocking on his door, well, you, you, you cannot ding-dong ditch God. You can't ring his doorbell just to test his grace. He knows the intention of your heart. And he doesn't grant every single wish to every last person just because you asked it. And the reason why is uh, vividly displayed in a movie a couple years back. Um, some of you may remember the movie Wonder Woman 1984. And that the villain gains this power to grant anyone their heart's deepest wish which at first sounds really great, and the people in the story think it's really great. I can finally have that thing that broke my heart, and now I can finally have it. Until they realize that he always takes something in return. And it's revealed that this power comes from this ancient evil god, demonic force, which mischievously offers this deal, knowing that people will destroy themselves with it. And that's what happens in the movie. The people met people everywhere are asking for horrible things, sometimes even thinking they're asking for a good reason, but their wishes tear the world apart until the people renounce their wishes and they let them go. And so it's a great illustration of why shouldn't every last wish be granted? Because <laughs> people don't always ask for good things, and we don't always know what is best. That's one explanation. 
The letter of 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 gives us this wonderful assurance that says, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So there's this wonderful assurance of knowing you have been heard and your prayer is answered. But he also says, according to his will. So we must pray according to God's will. And God's will, it's not a vague thing like we got to guess at it. No, it's, he's told us what is good, what he desires, what is his will in his scripture. And this verse is saying very similar to what Proverbs said and what Matthew 7 here has been saying. Even, even when we read verse 11, your father in heaven gives good things to those who ask him. He gives good things. He doesn't give stones to eat or snakes to eat. <laughs> he I mean, he might give stones if that's what you need for um, your construction project, but, but he's not gonna give you stones for food. If you ask for bad things, God's not gonna grant that. God is good and his grace is for your good. So God does not grant sinful wishes. That is, this is one explanation. It's not the only explanation for why prayer isn't answered. John 14, 13 through 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So to pray in Jesus' name is, is to ask to be heard for his sake. You're praying in his authority. So God's grace comes to us through Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus to you to give you his grace. So this promise, it is for believers. Then if you're asking for God's grace outside of Jesus Christ, well, then you cannot expect to receive it. You're not, I mean, are you even, are you even asking God, really? Or are you asking just whatever you made up? We, we ask in his name, and we ask for his, that it might glorify him. However, what about when we are asking in faith in Jesus, and we're asking for good things, like healing or the end of suffering, the end of evil? Well, why aren't those answered just the way we ask them? And the Apostle Paul asked that same question. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 9, Paul said, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God's grace is for you, and he can and he will take care of you. But he wants others to receive his grace too. And sometimes he, he wants to display his power to save in your life by strengthening you and comforting, comforting you in the middle of your trial rather than just simply removing your trial. And that's because he knows what the people around you, what will connect with them, how they will see his power to save in your life. And so that they can, and then so in this way, they can see his grace and they might desire it too. But in all situations, we trust to God's infinite 
wisdom and his sovereign rule and his steadfast love. And we also trust God's promise of resurrection and eternal life. Because God's promise is that one day all evil and all suffering will end. So he will answer that prayer. It is just a matter of time. And for the believer in Christ, your healing is a certainty. Because there will be a resurrection. And you will be glorified. And there will be no more sorrow or suffering or death. So when you look to Jesus, you can be certain that God is gracious. As the familiar verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God sent his son to save humanity. And even when humanity responded by hating Jesus and putting him to death, God, God did not withdraw his grace. In fact, he sent Jesus to show us mercy by dying for us and rising again. The, the verses we read in Proverbs, where, where it uh, talks about the, the destruction and the doom and the catastrophe of those who reject God and reject his wisdom and reject his righteousness and don't listen to him, those words would seem so contrary and even contradictory to these promises. That doom Jesus took upon himself on the cross so that you do not have to face it. So that in him, you just have the promise of his grace. God's generosity, his kindness, his grace and love are beyond what we can imagine. And he invites you to ask and to seek and to knock. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus tells us the good things God wants to give us, the good things we should pray for. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seek first his kingdom. Pray for daily bread. Ask for forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. Ask for deliverance from all the evils that we endure and all the evils we see in the lives of those around us. Ask for that purity of heart to live without hypocrisy and strength to, to be salt and light in the world. And ask him, as we, as we talked about last week, ask, ask God to remove the plank from your eye. Seek out wisdom and understanding and knock on his door to enter the kingdom and be his child. God is gracious. So remind yourself of this truth every day. Read the scriptures and tell your heart, tell your soul, God is gracious. God sent Jesus to you to give his grace to sinners. God is gracious. So even if you are, you've, you've messed up or you're filled with hypocrisy or you have judged someone to exalt yourself and all the other worst things that we do, you can find grace to help, grace to believe, grace to be part of God's kingdom. And this is because it does not depend upon your obedience, although your obedience is, is called for. It does not depend upon your obedience. It depends upon God's grace. And his grace reaches out to you and it calls to you and it calls you to come to God. 
and receive the grace that is in Jesus. So we praise God for his amazing grace, and we look to him. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for these words to us that invite us and call us to ask from you, to seek you, to knock on your door, and promise you are our Heavenly Father through your Son, Jesus, and you give us good things. And we pray that we just take this to heart and walk in this and, and believe it every day. In Jesus' name, amen.